Hey guys, welcome back to a Chinese teen talking about Islam podcast. It's Rhyme here, and it's currently 12 a.m. at noon. It's Monday, the 28th of June. It's getting the end of June. It's getting the end of Pride Month.、Um, I'm feeling a little bit sad, but that's okay. We are looking forward to July, and also I am going to stay with. And I'm going to live with my cousin in Shanghai for four to five days, starting at the beginning of July, and then I'm heading to do a little research and field trip in another province in my country. So I'm pretty excited about that. But before we get right into today's episode, we are going to talk a little bit about my life, current my current life. So. I just want to say that I am having a sort of existential crisis all over again. Recently, I haven't been very active on social media. I deleted all my social media apps. I deleted my Snapchat, Instagram. The only social media app I had is Discord, but I don't think that can be categorized as a social media app. So, yeah, and YouTube. Um, I've been listening to a lot of lo-fi songs and a lot of Lana Del Rey songs because I feel like those songs can get me right into that mood to get things done and feel pr- productive. And about productivity, I just want to say that I low-key fell into a, like high-key, sorry, a high-key fell into the trap of toxic productivity, and I feel like I'm chasing the phones of transforming into. Hashtag that girl, you know the that girl in your life or around you or on social media anywhere that has already put their lives together and be super productive and always had that cup of coffee, very aesthetic, very beautiful, gorgeous, and yada yada. But I don't have those resources. I can't live in that environment. I'm not even financial, financially stable. I'm only 17. I can do literally nothing. But I was actually very depressed about the fact that I can't live that aesthetic lifestyle right now at this age. I have been depressed about this for a long, long time. I don't know. I even write. A creative nonfiction about it. It's really short. It's about fantasies. It's about fantasies kill.、Um, I wrote about me immersing myself or just getting addicted into that kind of toxic environment, and just dreaming about living into living in such environment, like dreaming of becoming that girl, and always have that coffee in her hands. And go to the gym for three hours a day, and hang out with friends, and just chasing the sunset, and yada yada, and boring stuff like that. But then I slowly understood that I should not be focusing, and I should not be dreaming about that because it's just imaginary stuff, and it's very distracting, and it's pulling me from the reality. More and more, and it's toxic, and it's not healthy. It makes me more sad every day, thinking about, well, I can't do that right now. And however, the people around me are transforming themselves into that kind of lifestyle and that kind of girls or guys. 
and it's just making me sad. The um, imposter syndrome, um, the FOMA, and and just mental issues like that. So I want to get my lives together in five days, but not in that kind of way. Not through glow-ups, not through gyms, not through makeup, not through shopping. I just want my life together in, a, in the most simple way as much as possible. I'm a minimalism and I want to find my own aesthetic not through social media, but through my own experiment and my personal analysis and observation. So yeah, if you're listening to this, and I hope that you can also find your own purpose and your own lifestyle instead of just chasing a facade that's going on, that's training on TikTok. So yeah. Today's episode is not ordinary i am telling you it's not ordinary and i hope you can have like be prepared just be fully prepared and i just want to put a little bit disclaimer here i am not a muslim or a christian i have buddhist heritage my mom is a super religious buddhist and taoist and neo-confucianist but i want to stand from a point from like an outsider about the holy text, the Quran, the verses, and history. And in case you don't know or haven't listened to all my previous episodes, which you should definitely check them out, and you can see that I have, I low-key have a pattern. See, um, I have already talked about hijab and me, a short film, how Islam to some extent empowers women and how those women feel about wearing veils on a daily basis and then i talked about secularization french licita and my research paper the factors that tri- trigger islamophobia in france in particular and then i talked about in may i talked about al-aqsa the mosque and the israeli-palestinian conflict and the apartheid in israel and talked about the Gaza, talked about West Bank under attack, and then I talked about Islamic Golden Age of humanities, as well as sciences, as well as the truth of Sheikh Jarrah. All the topics that I discussed previously stood from a super, super objective point of view. However, I stood from a complete outsider. I don't incorporate, I did not incorporate my own personal thoughts and opinions on those subjects. Well, actually I did, but not that much. And most of the time I praised Islam. I praised Palestinians defending themselves, right? I praised Muslims having faith in their own religion. I praised they have the confidence to wear veils in secularized societies like the U.S. However, in today's episode, I do want to um get into somehow a touchy subject i know a lot of you guys will probably feel a little bit uncomfortable hearing me saying this because you probably thought that i was going to keep praising islam but i'm not because every religion has its own flaws like the whole podcast is supposed to be around the central topic which is what is and what was Islam. 
Islamic Golden Age belongs to what was Islam. Apartheid in Israel, is Israeli and Palestinian conflict belongs to what is Islam. Secularization belongs to what is Islam and what Islam faces today. And hijab and me belongs to both categories. But today I want to talk about the truth behind the Holy Text Quran from an objective point of view, from a learner's, from a teenager's point of view, from an outsider's point of view, and why I think theology is total bullshit. I'm sorry I swore, but I do think theology is bullshit, and I don't think that everyone should be studying theology, but I do think, and I do encourage you to study or do some your own personal research about religious studies. In case you don't know, these subjects are completely different, and my academic pursuit is religious studies, not theology. I'm not a religious person, so I can be studying theology, but I am a learner. I'm a social studies researcher and passionate. I have passions about religious studies. It's kind of like um, sociology, but a very specific branch of sociology. And let's get right to uh, into this episode about Quran and a lot of verses about Quran and history of Quran and what I think about Quran and what the truth that is not widely informed to the general public and i'm going to talk about that and you have a pro if you have actually if you have a huge problem with me talking about it because i assume that most of the people that is currently listening that are currently listening to this podcast my podcast are not muslims i don't think so but if i'm wrong please please let me know um I will assume that most people that are listening to my podcast are people that are interested in this topic and just people like me who are trying to be educated to some extent. So what is wrong? What or let me rephrase that. I'm sorry. Um, what is thought to be wrong by the general public about is Islamist, Islamic, I'm sorry, oh my god, Islamic golden text, Quran, is Surah 33. And what's amazing or disturbing about Surah 33 is that as nauseating as it is, um, we only have about a third of what it originally said. Why? What we have today is what was left after Muhammad's wives and others sanitized it. They changed some of it by removing some of the most abominable and sickening parts and the most disturbing parts of it. Muslim sources show that more than a hundred verses of Surah 33 are now missing. Why? Why is that? Because they're hiding something, of course. Let me read you a um, short verse of some of the words in Surah 33. Surah 33, verse 
Surat al-Ahzab used to be recited in a time of the Prophet with 200 verses, but when Uthman wrote out the codices, he was unable to procure more of it than there is in it today. In today's Quran, Surah 33 only has 73 verses. That's a lot of missing verses. And we know that some of these missing verses sad. For example, we read, It was narrated that Asha said the verse of stoning and of breastfeeding in adult ten times was revealed, and the paper was with me under my pillow. When the messenger of Allah died, we were preoccupied with his death, and the tame sheep came in and ate it. Wow, this is extremely weird, right? This is also a missing verse, and let me explain. Let me explain this verse to you if you have no idea what I was talking about. We discussed this verse of breastfeeding in adult ten times, which um, is pretty weird. And the meaning behind it, in brief, before more than a hundred verses were removed from Surah 33, one of the verses which is the verses that I just talked about, said that if a man and a woman are not married yet to each other, but they need to be alone together in a room or someplace, for some reason, the woman is required to breastfeed the man ten times so that he will see the woman as his mother and feel like her son and will not be, attempt will not be tempted to have sex with her. Wow, this is actually very weird weird, and disturbing to some point because according to Allah, the proper Islamic way for women to avoid sexually arousing men is breastfeeding them 10 times into their mouths. Wow, this is very, very disturbing and making me uncomfortable. However, Muhammad's wives had a better understanding of human nature than Allah did. I don't think I should say be saying this because you see Muhammad's wives removed this verse from the holy text which means they actually feel very uncomfortable about this verse too just like I did well I don't have any words I don't know how to correctly phrase my point of view because I feel like I will be attacked but I don't care I just, I'm just going to go for it. They have a better understanding of human nature. And I'm glad that they did remove those texts. They conspired to remove that verse and other verses when Muhammad died after. He um, was poisoned to death. Yeah. Muhammad's wives should have taken out the entire chapter, seriously, because... The verses that laughter are not healthy at all. This is a chapter where Allah gives Muhammad special permission to break the codes, to break the four wife limit. Muslims are allowed to marry up to four women and girls, but in Surah 33 verse 50, Allah literally said to Muhammad that he could break the code, tells Muhammad that he can have as many wives as he wants. Wow, I can't believe that. Well, let me remind you guys of the very first episode in this podcast where I talked about the differences between Christianity and Islam. I talked about 
the history of Islam and how Muhammad came up with this idea of monotheism. So, Muhammad was thought and perceived as a transmitter between the Allah, the God, and normal people like us. It should also be noted that Muhammad himself was a mortal man. He see, well, he saw himself as a mortal man with no differences than any of us. However, right here, there is a verse that's, that is saying that Muhammad can break the four wife limit. What was going on? It's contradicting itself. Why? How convenient that the man who was receiving the revelations got the most sex partners. This is also the chapter where Allah orders Muhammad to marry the wife of his own adopted son after Muhammad causes a divorce by lusting after her. Since marrying the divorced wife of your own adopted son was frowned upon in 17th century, it's caught a scandal. Allah decided to abolish adoption in Surah 33 verses 4-5. Adoption, of course, is one of the most loving, humane practices in human history, and Allah abolishes it so that Muhammad can have the wife of his own adopted son. The utterly detestable chapter is that the chapter that contains the verse, well, I'm going to talk about the verse, is called, O oh, you who believe, enter not prophets' houses unless permission is given to you for a meal, and then not so early as to wait for its preparation. But when you are invited, enter, and when you have taken your meal, disperse without sitting for a talk. Verily, such behavior annoys the prophet, and he is shy of asking you to go. But Allah is not shy of telling you the truth. And when you ask his wives for anything you want, ask them from behind a screen that is pure for your hearts and for their hearts. And it is not right for you that you should annoy Allah's messenger, nor that you should ever marry his wives after him, after his death. Verily, with Allah that shall be an enormity. This verse comes from Surah 33, verse 53. And the historical background of this verse um, is that Muhammad would sometimes invite people to one of these merry houses for dinner, many houses for dinner, but people would show up early or stay late because they wanted to talk to him and just ask him questions. Muhammad didn't want these people hanging around, but he was too shy to tell them that. So they were that he they were annoying them that's when Allah stepped in and revealed in this verse 53 just the verse that I just talked about Muhammad doesn't like people showing up early for dinner or hanging out afterwards he's a busy man and Islam's most trusted sources say that he liked to have relationships with all nine of his wives on the same day as we read in Another verse, narrated Anas, the prophet used to go round, have sexual relations with all his wives in one day, and he had nine wives. Wow, this is also deleted from the book. I don't know why would they include this, this text, this little text in the holy book in the first place. I'm so confused, but this is really disturbing, actually. The privilege that Muhammad has and the privilege that the God gave him 
was disturbing and is disturbing. And this fact is repeated nonstop in so many verses, in so many texts. Surah 33 verse 50 gives Muhammad special permission to have more sexual partners than anyone else, just like the four-wife limit. And Muhammad wants to go from house to house, have relationships with nine women and girls at one night. Now, obviously, if you're trying to have relationships with nine women and girls a night, um, um, you don't have a lot of time for chit-chat, right? Um, but Muhammad's followers want to talk to him, even if it interferes with his, you know, recreation time. Sadly, Muhammad, the guy who brags about having relationships with nine women and girls in one night because he wrote them, the verses himself, is just too shy to tell his followers to stop bothering him. So Allah has to intervene and tell the followers to just shut up and not annoy Muhammad. Keep in mind, he is the one who's receiving these revelations, not anyone else. One day, he steps out and says, Guys, I have a revelation from the God, from Allah. This is Allah talking, not me. I wouldn't say any of this, but Allah will. Remember just three verses, three verses ago when Allah gave me and me alone the right to have more than four wives? and sexual partners than any of you. Well, now Allah wants you to stop coming over to my house early and he wants you to leave. And he uses, he utilizes Allah's instructions to fulfill his own desires and his own purposes. This is not what a, you know, faithful and loyal or a right thing to do for a transmitter. For a person who's widely adored, admired, and respected, and has so many followers who would just want to hear his teachings because they believed in him and they believed in his role as a transmitter. However, he's manipulating them to fulfill his own desires and to break so many codes that was widely accepted and was widely perceived as social norms and policies in Islamic societies. So uh, Muhammad kept saying, well, now Allah wants you to stop coming over to my house early and he wants to let you leave as, as soon as dinner's over. Again, he wouldn't say any of this. He did not say any of this. I'm just too shy. He said, I'm just too shy. It's all Allah's instructions. Sorry. But Allah's not shy. Just like the verse that I just said. He wants all of you to stop annoying me, stop talking to me to death, stop asking me questions about Islamic um, teachings uh, when I've got better things to do. I don't want to judge. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm just telling you what I read in this specific verse, in this specific chapter, Sarah 33. This chapter should not exist. Seriously, it should not exist. Why didn't Muhammad's wives omit all the chapters, like the whole chapter of Surah 33? Because this chapter made Allah look bad. Allah is Muhammad's sock, sock puppet, whose primary goal is to give Muhammad everything he wants and fulfill his own personal desires. And this is not 
what Alice should look like. And remember, I was telling you guys that some people were saying that the Curons filled with scientific miracles. Well, I can say this is 100% true. Um, there are some scientific observations that coincided with today's um, observations that was gained from um, scientific um, experiments and stuff, but I can't say that Kiran is filled with scientific miracles. A lot of times, um, the Kiran was just filled with, is just filled with guessings, I guess. It's not scientific. It's definitely not scientific. If it was scientific, then why would chapter like Sarah 33 exist? That's totally BS. Doesn't make sense. second thing I want to point out is that the change in Kiran. You know, Kiran was not written or revealed to Muhammad in just one day. In 24 hours, it's not the case. It was gradually revealed to Muhammad throughout years and months. If you have known a little bit about the history of Quran, you would know that there are definitely peaceful chapters in the Quran. They were revealed to Muhammad in a cave called Hira near Mecca in 610 um, when Muhammad's God Allah wanted to correct the Jewish Old Testament and the Christian's New Testament. His gentle and tolerant Meccan revelations were intended to bridge the gap between Jews and Christians, winning both over to Allah's correction. It did not work. And then he ran out of the town. He went to Medina. It was in Medina where the rest of the Quran was revealed to him by Allah. And there was a marked change. The chapters became violent. And Muhammad became violent. You can see a clear change, a clear difference between the chapters um, of Quran when Muhammad was still in Mecca and between um, the chapters that he revealed in Mecca and the chapters written in Medina. At that time, the letter, during the letter period, the Muhammad, um, and Muhammad became violent. He um, beheaded Jews, which was um, documented in historical evidence. He, he fought wars, indeed. Um, he killed a lot of people. Um, he took booty in his victories, and the booty included human captives. Um, women and unspeakable acts were allowed. That I would definitely not include here. Um, you can read for yourself in Surah 4.24, and 70.29. The sexual injustice is reprehensible, but during this time, Allah wills it. Or, let me rephrase it, Muhammad said Allah wills it. All of this was commended by his, his Allah in the Medina Surahs, and those chapters in the Quran still apply today. It is not radical. It's just a part of it. Just several chapters in the holy text. 
The hostile Medina Quran calls for Muslims to kill anyone who leaves the Islamic faith. Also, Medina Sarah command Muslims to kill the infidels, non-Muslims, wherever you find them and take them as captives and besiege them and lay wait for them with every kind of ambush so they repent and become Muslim and perform prayer, leave their way free, convert or die, and many other violent commands. Um, this is from Medina Sarah 9.5. Allah also revealed to Muhammad, if one is quoting from an early Meccan Surah and there is contradicting Surah given later in Medina, the Meccan quote is no longer valid. The peaceful quote will be no longer valid. It is called the doctrine of abrogation. This abrogation applies to 60% of Quran, which means a lot of peaceful verses were gone, were omitted, were abrogated. The early peaceful Saras of Mecca no longer apply, but they are still in the Quran. And the Quran is not written in chronological order, so the reader can say which Sarah is applicable. So peace-loving Muslims can claim Islam to be peaceful, and Medim Muslim followers can justify violence and killing, all in the name of Allah. So basically, the whole situation is super chaotic, and that's why there are so many conflicts and disturbing things that's currently going on in this world, because people can make sense. It does not make sense, and people can have it make sense. Can't make sense of it, alright? Because peace-loving Muslims who adore peace can say that Islam is peaceful, because those peaceful surahs chapters of Mecca still exist. However, the jihadists and the bad guys, the terrorists, they can also justify violence and killing because those violent chapters or Saras of Medina exist as well. The unpleasant truth is that the Quran teaches faithful Muslims to be at war with non-Muslims until they're all subdued. This is not okay. Um, I would say from the humanity's point of view, the violent chapters of Quran when Muhammad was in Medina was probably utilized, alright? It's manipulated to fulfill Muhammad's own desires because at that time he was at wars. He wanted to succeed. He wanted to win. He wanted to ev evict all the non-Muslims like Jews and Christians and yada yada. He wanted them to leave. He wanted awe to himself. He wanted those lands. He wanted to be a leader. He wanted to fulfill his own personal desires, just like on the disturbing verse that I talked about in the previous segment. So he utilized Allah. He manipulated the Quran to educate or falsely educate his people and to let them be motivated to commit things, to commit killings, to commit themselves into the war and to win that's why i still want to say that i have immense respect for muslims especially those muslims that are peaceful and respect peace and desire peace and i feel like that's completely fine i definitely adore you because you are on the right track but um i observe that Although there are very respectful and thoughtful Muslim people around me, and I definitely have a lot of people who are Muslims, um, a lot of friends and um, acquaintances, to this day I still have admiration for their devotion to Islam, but I just want to um, 
point out the very downfall aspects in Quran versus in verses. Of course, Muslim people are some of the most pious and reverent people in the world. But I do think that a lot of American Muslims or like the second generation of American Muslims today don't even know about verses in Quran. Why would people like if you have not read the whole book, the whole holy text, you should not say that Islam or is a scientific religion, is scientific science science based or is rational ba rationality based or is completely or a hundred percent peaceful you cannot say that because those violent verses are there and they can be interpreted in so many ways it's confusing and it's conflicting and sometimes contradicting itself just like i said the peaceful mecca verses versus the um violent medina um saras The final part I want to say about sexuality in Islam. As a pan myself, a part of the LGBTQ community, as well as I'm definitely an ally. Um, I don't know how I feel about this. Like I said, I 100% adore Muslim people, especially those people who are pious and are rational and are, um, are respectful themselves. I definitely adore you guys, but I just want to spell the truth because it is there and I'm not making up anything. I'm just reciting what is there, what is exactly in the holy text. Homosexuals are people attracted to one's own sex, obviously. Sharia law, the Islamic law, is without doubt man-made and in contradiction with Quranic laws. So-called scholars sometimes are not even aware of verses and punishments for homosexuals in Quran just because they're sometimes brainwashed by hadiths and hardly know anything that is really in the Quran. You know, that's, this is actually something that is very disturbing and this is things that went downhill, went wrong. People should have an objective point of view towards religion instead of just willingly getting brainwashed by people around you. If you are truly scholar, if you were a true scholar, you should definitely look it up. You should read the whole book. You should read the Quran instead of just reading some parts of it. For example, the nonviolent verses, you should not just read the verses and surahs and the text written in Mecca. You should also read comprehensively the violent verses in Medina. You should have a comprehensive view of what was going on and what was there, because that's the truth. No one mention, well, no one would be willing to mention homosexuality at school, in front of kids, but this is something that's going on in this world. This is gradually becoming a very normal topic to talk about. It's no longer a taboo topic. Although in my country where I live, it's still, it, it, um, homosexuality is still a taboo topic. No one um, talks about it. However, let, let's get back to the track. Um, Sharia law is in clear contradiction with Quran when it comes to homosexuality. Why? 
So, um, there is a verse. Those who commit immorality among young women, you must have four witnesses against them from among you. If they do bear witness, then you shall keep such women in their homes until they die, or until Allah creates an exit for them. According to this, Quran 4, witnesses should not be brought should be brought against the women accused of being lesbian should not be allowed to leave their houses if proven guilty until Allah seeks freedom for them. And then in Quran 4 as well, there is no penalty described for gay men other than dishonoring an existence of such verse exam exams them from stoning. What if women were accused of homosexual act? Just like I said, if women were accused of being lesbians, there should be four witnesses and women will not be allowed to leave their houses until they die. Those people who false accuse women of any sort of immorality without evidence should be lashed 80 times, sorry. It's not easy to accuse someone of immorality according to Quran. First of all, witness should be from the house, meaning family members or siblings or relatives living in the same house. Otherwise, testimony will not be acceptable. Second, for witnesses, at least. Third, if someone accuses a woman and then fails to provide witness, then he or she is the one getting punished with 80 lashes. The conclusion is even if women committed immorality, she's not getting accused unless her own family members want her accused of wrongdoing. In Sharia law, which is driven from hadiths prescribing stoning for homosexuals, which not only contradict Quran but is violating most merciful's law, Allah has made it clean in Quran too that there will be no compulsion in religion as right path is clear for talk Talkat, which is the devil's law that orders violence, oppression, injustice, cruelty, and everything else that is filthy and evil. Clearly, Sharia law has nothing to do with the Quran, and almost all the commands and laws of Sharia were, are the opposite of Quranic laws. Sharia law versus Quran, Sharia law ordering execution by stoning for homosexuality and other crimes is not Islamic at all. There is not a single verse of Quran prescribing stoning for any sort of sin, but instead of stoning, prophets and messengers were threatened by people if they don't stop preaching word of God, they will be stoned to death. Stoning is something mentioned in Quran as rituals of evil people and transgressors. So Sharia law somehow distorted um, Quranic um, texts and made it convenient for themselves to punish homosexuals by the most cruel approach in this world. So to conclude, I want to state that from my point of view, a lot of people are faithful, extremely religious people that believe deeply in Hadith. Um, if you don't know what Hadith is, Hadith is the rec record of the traditions or sayings of the Prophet Muhammad. Hadith is not the Quran. And of course, um, the Hadith and the Sharia are mixes of truth and falsehood, just like I said um, uh, just a couple of minutes ago. Somehow, the Hadith and Sharia law contradicted with the teachings of Quran concerning homosexuality. Like I said, Kiran did not say anything about homosexuality, did not say anything about stoning or any kind of punishment, but 
Sharia laws said a lot about punishments and stoning, just like the Hadith did also. Okay, that's my point, my perspectives concerning the downside of the holy text. And then let's get to the part where I think um, theology is just bullshit. Disclaimer, this is completely different from religious studies. Religious studies is different from theology. Religious studies can, um, like everyone can learn religious studies. You, you can be an atheist to learn religious studies. Definitely you can. You can also be atheist to learn religious studies. But sometimes I feel like uh, most people who learn or major in religious studies are atheists. Um, because, um, in most circumstance, under most circumstances, it can be more objective and think in a more comprehensive way when you are an atheist and you're learning religious studies because it definitely has a lot of things to do with data analysis, sociology, and a lot of, um, subjects intertwined to interdisciplinary studies. However, theology, you can't be an atheist if you want to learn theology. That just don't make sense. That doesn't make sense. Um, theology is for someone who has a strong faith in their own religion. I don't. I'm not a religious person. I want to know facts. I don't want to listen to what someone else else has to say about this topic i want to know everything about this topic through my own research through my own efforts i don't want like i don't want to listen to what um muslims have to like religious super religious muslims have to say about how peaceful and how great the quran is um no offense, but I don't want to hear that. I want to approach a subject as comprehensively as I can, as objectively as I can. So I feel like theology is based on a fact that you have already had strong faith in the subject and you will not change your perspective no matter what people say. This is not the case. I will change my beliefs, I will change my opinion if you can convince me. Uh, however, this is definitely based on the fact that I have already done a lot of research. I have already done a wide research about this topic. For example, um, the truth of Shakshirat. I have firmly believed before that this whole thing should be blamed on the Israeli government. But then, after doing a lot of research, historical research about the things that happened or is currently happening in Shakshirat, the, that area, that um, residence, residential area. I don't think Israeli government should take full blame. Um, they have definitely done some mistakes, for example, not letting the general public learn more about the circumstances there. They're not open with their information. And the lawyers, right, the lawyers and attorneys um, in that place and the attorneys who 
is in charge of the um, stuff that's going on or the conflicts happening in Shakshirad are not doing their jobs and they're not fulfilling their duties. And beside from that, I don't think um, the internet had seen what was really going on there or what, what the historical background was. I do believe that Israel has practiced appetite to some extent and probably they don't like my opinion and they probably don't think that they're practicing appetite but from an outsider's point of view the things they are currently doing then the practices they are they have and the policies they have towards specifically towards palestinians and muslims are a practice of appetite you can't deny it however i don't think um, the internet has seen a full picture of what was going on in Shakhtarat. That's my opinion. And if you have anything else to say, you can definitely reach out to me. You can definitely leave a voice message um, to this episode and I will, I will listen and I will, I can hear you and I will react and I will do more research about your opinion and what you got to say. So feel free to send me a voice message. I will link um, uh, the link of my, I will apply the link of the voice message somewhere in the description box. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. I know the subject is a little bit touchy and a little bit controversial, but I did it. And feel free to send messages to me, reach out to me on social media, or send me an email or something in any form. I would love to communicate with you. I would love to talk to you and discuss anything with you. So feel free to reach out and hope you guys can have a nice week. Stay safe. Bye.